get into the Word of God. Let it speak to our hearts, we pray. Lord, touch everything that we do, everything we give. Use it for your kingdom. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Would you come? Would you give? Would you connect for just a moment in Jesus' name? Hallelujah. It's a good day living for the Lord. And I'm so thankful that we can come into the house of God. We can worship Him. Brother James right here, he asked me just a minute ago, he said, you got something good for us tonight? And I responded back, I said, well, it's the Word of God, and the Word of God's always good. Then I thought about it for a minute, and I responded again, I'll do my best to do the Word of God justice. So, uh, His Word, the Bible says, will not return void unto us. Uh, but we have to rightly divide the Word. We have to rightly understand the Word. And so I think there is a... Uh, uh, we, we put our full trust in the Word of God. Every word written in the pages of the Bible is given for the inspiration, it's given for the, the help of mankind, the, all of the Bible is inspired by God, but we have, to, we have to rightly divide the word, we need to study the word, get in the word, and I am very thankful for that. Welcome to our youth class, this is the third, I think it's the third Wednesday, that's uh, our fourth Wednesday, whatever it is, and y'all are here, so welcome to Big Church, we're glad you're here. And... Uh, no, I'm thankful. Every once in a while, I don't do it very often, but every once in a while I'll sneak in and it's pretty cool to see uh, people here in this service knowing that they're downstairs in kids' church and then last couple of times I've stuck my head in chapel on Wednesday nights, y'all are about filled up the chapel and I'm thankful for that. In fact, a few, maybe last Wednesday, I can't remember, I think it was maybe last Wednesday, if not it was Wednesday before, uh, we counted 153 people that were in our building in service, whether it was kids, youth, or here. Uh, and that just is awesome. That astounds me. And thank you for being faithful to the house of God. And thank you for being faithful to the word of God. Last Wednesday, and I, I'm not going to re-preach it, I promise, but last Wednesday, we talked a little bit about dominion. And we kind of talked about how God had, had given man dominion uh, at creation, God gave man dominion over the earth and dominion over 
uh, the things of the earth. But because man disobeyed, Satan kind of took his place and Satan weaseled his way in and, uh, you know, began to mess with that. But thankfully, Christ came and overcame that. So that was our, our Bible study last Wednesday. And I would encourage you, if you didn't hear it or if you weren't here, go back and, and listen to it. I want to sort of continue that, that understanding. And I want to take you on a journey today. It's a journey that we will not finish. Um, we'll come back to it. It won't be next Wednesday. I will be at our general conference. Uh, but, but the next time that I preach on a Wednesday night, we'll, we'll revisit this, Lord willing. And come back and I'll give you part two or three or wherever we're at. But um, it's a journey we're not going to finish. I think I'll leave you with, with a call to action, something you can take home. But uh, I want to talk to you about the spirit of Babylon, the spirit of Babylon. And this is something that I see and have studied. I'm also going to use a little bit from an incredible book that I've read several times. I'm currently rereading it called Intoxicated with Babylon by Steve Gallagher, but um, I want to just do some teaching on the spirit of Babylon. And so what I would invite you to do, if you have it, is grab your Bible and just turn uh, somewhere. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 5, but then we're going to quickly go to Genesis 3, and we'll be in 4, 5, 6. And I want to just take you on a journey, because sometimes we take the stories of the Bible and we kind of separate them. We know the story of David and Goliath. And we know the story of, of Elisha and, and the, or, or Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And we know the story of Daniel lines in. But you have to understand they all kind of fit together. It's all part of one incredible story of, of God at work in man. If you will, look at, at Genesis chapter 5. And I, I don't think I'm reading too much into it. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. He blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his own image and named him Seth. Um, first off, we know that Adam had two prior sons. He may have had other sons. He probably had other daughters, most likely, and uh, but we know he had two other sons. He had Cain and Abel. We know what happened there. Abel offered a sacrifice that God accepted. Cain offered a sacrifice that God sort of rejected. And Cain got mad, got mad at God, took it out on Abel. And Abel died a death. And uh, the, the, the sin just continued. But now, uh, Adam and Eve, they, they father Seth. I do think it's very interesting the, the way the Bible phrases it, and I don't think it's a stretch. Adam was made in the image of God, but Seth comes along, and the Bible says he's made in the image of Adam. Sin is continuing through the lineage. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Man has fallen. We no longer have that incredible access with heaven. There's this, there's this great gulf, this great chasm that spans, and, 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 and so now we're going to see what happens after the fall. In, in, in Genesis chapter 5, you find a, a great lineage. It's the lineage from Adam all the way to Noah. And, and in this period of history, um, if I could, just, just 
if you want to ask me about the history of the, of the earth or the history of man, no, I'm going to always go back to the Bible. If, if there's something that, that scientists or something that the, the, the mainstream media says differently than the Word of God, the Word of God is my ultimate uh, uh, navigational aid to understand how this world was formed. Does that make sense? So, when you, when you think about everything that has happened in the world to this point, know that it all goes back to Adam. Everything that happens, the Bible kind of lays out. So you have this, this lineage uh, of, of Adam all the way through Noah. And one thing that I believe, and I think there's theologians and, and commentators that will back it up, but from this moment from Adam and, and his lineage to Noah, there, there seems to be a, a, a understanding of who God is. Because in the beginning there was God, right? Nothing else. And so Adam and Eve were born, they had walked with God, they had seen God in some form or fashion, and, and so it naturally would, would go that they would tell their children about what they saw in the garden, and their children would tear, tell their children. And, and on throughout these, this time, there is a, an understanding that God is the only God right now. He, he's the only thing they serve. Now maybe somebody like Cain decided, I'm not going to serve God, but up until Noah's time, it seems like there was kind of only one. You either love God or you didn't love God. You either serve God or you didn't serve God. And then the Bible says in the times of Noah, it just kind of went crazy. An interesting thing that I find in the book of Genesis chapter 3 is that, or, or rather after Genesis chapter 3, is that Satan doesn't seem to be mentioned at all in Genesis after that. He just kind of disappears from the history of mankind for a while in the book of Genesis. But, but rest assured, he hasn't backed down. What was the curse that God gave to, to the serpent? He said, the seed of the woman is going to come and crush your heel. Or crush your head. You'll strike his heel, he'll crush your head. And so Satan begins to work overtime to derail God's plan. Watch this. Who is the seed of the woman? It's Abel. Well, God has, or, or Satan has Cain, if you will, kill Abel. Now Cain's disobeyed God. Now Cain's running away. And so Satan can sit back and go, Shh, I beat that. There's not a chance. Abel's dead. He can't procreate. He can't make any more seeds, if you will. And, and Cain has left God, so maybe I'm okay. And then Seth comes along. If you know anything about the lineage of Christ, you know that Christ comes from the lineage of Seth. But, but Seth comes along, and so it is that Satan begins to work overtime to derail God's prophesied plan. And here in these first few pages of the Bible, his greatest tactic is introduced. Satan isn't going to do too much one-on-one -on -one combat anymore. No longer is Satan going to try to slither into a life and, and, and just talk to you one-on-one. -on -one. Instead, one of the greatest tactics of Satan is compromise. Satan said, if I can get God's children, if I can get the children of God to compromise their walk with God, compromise their place of communion with God, compromise their place of separation with God, I can mess them up and they won't hurt me 
down the road. That's how Satan thinks. So we get to Genesis chapter 6. Just kind of look at that, if you will. Genesis chapter 6, it starts out and it says, And when man began to multiply on the face of the land, daughters were born to them. And the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any that they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be a hundred and twenty years. I, I know there's a lot of different thoughts. I've, I've heard it preached that these sons of gods were, were angels, and it really doesn't make any sense because angels are genderless beings and other places, the Bible says in heaven there is no marriage or giving in marriage. I don't think that's what that means. I think if you really study it out, it means that the children of Seth, God's chosen lineage that were following God, begin to, to connect and mix with Cain's descendants. Cain, the one that had rebelled against God and walked away. That 120 years may not necessarily represent that man is never going to live 120 years longer. It's probably more connected to the fact that in 120 years, the flood was coming. God says, I'm kind of getting tired of man. Man's not doing it. For the Bible says in verse 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intention and the thoughts of his heart was on evil continually. Something began to switch in man. About this time that, that Seth's descendants begin to slowly mix with Cain's descendants. That pattern is still today. James 4.4 4 talks about friendship of the world is enmity with God. First John, and, and if you get that friendship with the world. Now, I want you to be very careful and understand. It did not say you cannot have friends in the world. Look at your neighbor and say, you can still have friends in the world. That's not what that verse means. That verse does not mean we are called to be hermits. That verse does not mean we're called to commune and, and, and become you know, some sort of cultish type being that, that has no concept of, of the outside world. That's not what it means. It does not say you cannot have friends in the world. It says don't be friends with the world. And if you remember last week, we talked about what is the world. It's the cosmos. It's the world's order. It's the world's mindset. And, and right now, we see that this world's mind is not on God. And so if you are friends with the world or friends of the world, it puts you at odds, enmity with God. And if you've got that going on, I would encourage you to remember 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15 through 17 when it says, be careful, love not the world, nor the things in the world. Again, look at your neighbor and say, nowhere does it talk about people. Did y'all catch that? Does not say don't love those in the world. That's not what it says. Doesn't say you can't have friends. It says love not the world, nor the things in the world. And so if you if you love the world, then the love of the Father is not in you. All that is in the world, and it goes on the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So you have to talk about this friendship of the world and loving the world. And then you have the 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 uh, warning of Romans 12, 2. Don't be conformed. To this world. 
don't fit into this world's mold. I'm not called to look like this world. I'm not called to talk like this world. I'm not called to be like this world. I'm called to look like my heavenly father. I'm called to to mirror my father. I'm called to be formed in his likeness and, and conform to his image. Don't be conformed to the world. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, all the way through the first part of 7, says be separated from this world. Because... If you have a friendship of the world, and if you love the world and the things of the world, and if you conform to the world, and if you are not separated from the world, then 1 Corinthians 11.32 says you will be condemned with this world. Okay? So it is that... That we, we have this and, and man is wicked and it's just growing and I'm trying, you know, in my mind, I mean, we're talking uh, hundreds of years. If you want to understand it, I probably should have put it up here, but to be honest, sometimes I forget I have a screen behind me. But Google, just, just go to Google and Google ages or years of the patriarchs. There's some really cool graphs that will show you a linear graph of, of, of how, you know, who was born when and, and, and when they died. And so you can tell who all was alive. And so, for example, Methuselah was alive all the way up until the year of the flood. Now, the Bible does not say he died because of the flood. He probably died of old age. He lived a long time. The longest man in the Bible. But, but you can see all of those things. And so uh, Methuselah would have touched Adam, there's a good chance Methuselah knew Adam. And so Methuselah could have walked between Adam and Noah. It's hard to, hard to understand. That's a lot of time frame. But in this moment, man has grown wicked. Somewhere in the midst of the majority of mankind, their hearts have left God. There's no longer this walking with God, this communing with God. There's no longer this, this understanding. And so God looks upon the whole world. And seems to only be able to find one righteous family or maybe even one righteous man, Noah. And he calls to Noah. Noah begins to build the ark. That family, that that man that had favor, Genesis chapter 6, he builds the ark. And then you know the story. I'm not going to dwell on the ark. The ark is over. The flood has, has, has recited, receded, and they are walking out on dry land and and look at um, what, what happened at the end of that. This would be um, Genesis chapter 8. Noah builds an altar to the Lord, verse 20. He takes some of the clean animals, burns it on the altar. The Lord smells the pleasing aroma. I'll never curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from the youth. Neither will I strike down every living creature as I've done. While the earth remains, seed time, harvest, cold, heat, summer, winter, day, night shall not cease. Chapter 9, and God blessed Noah and the sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Later on in verse 3, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I gave you green plants, I gave you everything. And, And there's this almost like a second commandment of Eden. Go be fruitful, go multiply, go subdue the earth. Almost, it very very closely mirrors that. Go forth and multiply. You take one family, Noah and his wife, 
three sons and their wives. And from that point on, every living human being from that point on goes back to Noah and his family. And then if you're reading your Bible, it, 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 it turns the page, talks about chapter 10, nations that are descended from Noah. Look at verse chapter 10, uh, verse 8. Well, actually, go to verse 6, just so it makes sense to you. So Noah had three sons. Anybody know their name? Ham, Shem, and Jacob. David. All right, so look at verse uh, number 6. These are the sons of Ham. So this is going to be Noah's grandsons. You have Cush, you have Egypt, you have Put, you have Canaan. The sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Rama. They name their kids weird. Sabtaka. The sons of Ra, uh, uh, the sons of Rahas, Sheba, and, and Dedan. Verse 8. And Cush fathered Nimrod. He was first on the earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. If you take that at face value, it seems like probably Brandon Buford's favorite verse. Nimrod, the mighty hunter. And that's honestly kind of where a long time I thought it was. But to be honest, that's not entirely what that verse means. You can go read. So, I, again, I, I, I'm stepping on some places that I don't have all the greatest knowledge. I'm having to stand on the shoulders of, of people who, who know things more than I know things. But before Jesus' time on earth, there was a translation of the Old Testament called the Targum. And that ancient translation of the Old Testament that the Jews would have had, if you read the verse in, in that old translation called the Targum that, that existed before Jesus was born, this is what it reads. And I, I'm probably paraphrasing, but that Nimrod, he was a mighty rebel before the Lord. Therefore it is said from the day that the world was created, there hath not been as Nimrod, mighty in hunting and a rebel before the Lord. There's another ancient, ancient historian by the name of Trogos Pompeius. And this is what he writes in antiquity. He says he, meaning Nimrod, he, first of all changed the contended moderation of ancient manners Incited by a new passion, the desire of conquest, he was the first who carried war to his neighbors and conquered all from Assyria to Libya. Justin, an early church historian and a martyr, uh, Justin would have said it this way. He said, Nimrod subdued his neighbors, subdued all of the people in the east. Nimrod steps to the, the, the place in human history and, and God had told Noah and his family, go and populate the earth, go and scatter. They were living like nomads. There were tribes here and tribes there. There were no cities at this point. And, and Nimrod comes and somewhere in the heart of Nimrod, he had this desire to conquer. It's very possible, you read historians, you read it, it's very possible that war really had not existed until Nimrod steps to the scene. and Nimrod begins to conquer one at a time and, and he takes over and blood begins to be shed and, and he subdues his neighbor and Nimrod desires and he designs 
what, what we would say is the first city, the city of Babel. He says, and, and, and he, he says, uh, uh, look, look at chapter 11, that the whole earth had one language, the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. Let us have brick for stone and, and uh, uh, vitamin or Budiman for mortar and they said come let us build for ourselves a city and a tower with its top in heavens let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed across the face of the earth that we had an origin Nimrod Nimrod said I'm going to make a city and let's build a city for ourselves let's all come together and, and let's build this city let's make a name for ourselves let's build a tower whose Top is in the heavens, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. I want you to pay close attention to a few things. One of them was the direct commandment of the Lord. Go and scatter all through the earth and populate it. And Nimrod comes and says, not going to do it. Let's all get right here. That's the first element of Nimrod's character. The second element of Nimrod's character is, come, let's make a name for Myself, ourself. And you see this beginning to grow. During this time, this, this tower, I, I always, as a kid, just imagined that they were building a tower that literally they were going to try to build a skyscraper like, you know, what we think of a skyscraper, and they wanted to go all the way up to heaven. That's probably not exactly what it was. It was more of a ziggurat or a, or a pyramid. And it was designed to be a massive structure, not so much in a, in a height to get to heaven, but in a place where they could examine the stars. And it is at this point that history, especially history that's rooted in the biblical understanding, will tell you that it's at this place, Nimrod and Babel and the Tower of Babel, that man began to worship other things other than God himself. Again, you, you, you had Cain. Cain did not obey God, but he knew who God was. But it's at this point in the Tower of Babel that, that, that they began to worship the heavenly bodies, the sun and the moon and the stars. Astrology was probably uh, birthed at this place. And it's, it's, it's right here uh, that they begin to make a name for themselves. Nimrod had a harem and there was one certain girl uh, uh, by the name of Samaraeus who became the queen of Babylon after Nimrod died. She died and she conceived and, and birthed a son and she concocted a plan that Nimrod had come back to life and, and that's how she had this son and you had a beginning, this, this mythology if you will, that that because Nimrod had come back to life, Nimrod was a god and we should worship him. And my son is now a god-man and it becomes the basis of, of so many, if not all, of almost all the mythologies that you see. If you went to school, you probably learned about Roman mythology and you learned about Greek mythology. And it's the exact same thing, they just changed the names, right? But probably started here. One of the mythologies is this. The son's name was Tem, Tammuz or Tammuz. 
Tammas died a violent death and the mythology would say that he found himself in the abode of the dead and in, 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 in you know the underworld, in Hades as we would call it. And there the other gods decided this is, this is sad. He, he's in you know, Hades and so let's ask the goddess of the abode of the dead if she'll release him back and let him come. And, and, and she said, well, I'll do it on one condition that everybody in the world would cry and weep. Tammuz. Now I know right now y'all are looking at me like I got 18 heads because this is not normally how I would preach. But just to remind you that I'm still in the Bible, I would invite you to turn with me to the book of Ezekiel chapter 8 and verse 14. If you'll put that up, brother uh, Mike, Ezekiel, and I didn't give Mike these, these chapters. There's times that they'll ask me, brother Mike and sister uh, low, they'll say, you know what, Mr. Genie, what, what, what are you preaching today? And I'll just look at him and I'll say, follow me. So that's what I'm doing today. I'm messing poor Mike up. So Ezekiel chapter 8 and verse 14. We got it? E-Z-K. All right, who has it? All right, uh, Grant, read it very loud. Yeah, verse 14. So this, this mythology, this false religion that got birthed around the time of the Tower of Babel is now found in Ezekiel and, and, if, and, and what you, the north gate of the house of the Lord. You find, and if, if you'll go read Ezekiel, there's some horrible things that happened at the end of, of Ezekiel that, that they had taken the temple of the Lord and they were worshiping false gods in the temple of the Lord in Ezekiel's time. And they were weeping for Tammuz. It became a cult that we would weep for Tammuz. And this weeping for Tammuz, it's found there in Ezekiel. And in fact, I'm, I'm, I would say this, that you will find this mother and son relationship in so many different mythologies and so many different religions, if you will. One of them is even the Madonna, the concept of Madonna, Mary, the mother of God, and we can pray to her and maybe something will happen. It all goes back to Babylon. And out of this debased culture of Babylon comes fertility cults, promiscuous behavior labeled as worship. If you, you, you can have relationships with these, these temple people and, and, and the, the, these, these prostitutes, male and female, and the more that you have relationship with them, the more the God will bless you. It's, it's, the, it's the basis of Baal that, that Israel had so much of a problem getting around. Baal goes back to that, these fertility cults. It's personified in so many cultures, Ashtar and Ishtar and Aphrodite. And Venus, the astrology, the worship of stars and heavenly bodies all goes back to this time where Nimrod said, I don't want to do what God says. I'm going to be my own man. Do you, do you hear the difference or, or do you hear the similarities? Satan said, I don't want to follow God. I want to be God. Nimrod steps to the stage and he says, I don't want to follow God. I want to do my own thing. Now, let's get back. Where, where you're more comfortable. Somewhere 
if I understand correctly, about 10 years after Nimrod's death. And perhaps only 300 to 350 years after the flood comes a man named Abram. And there the Bible says, and I'd invite you to look there at, verse, at chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12. So we're, we're only 10 or so years, according to the genealogies and the history that I can find and other people have found, some 300, maybe 350 years after the flood. And the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, go from your kindred in your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and those who dishonor you I'll curse and all of the family in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. We also talk about Ur. Where Abraham lived was one of the cities that Nimrod had developed. Abraham was in this place, living in this cesspool of sin. And somewhere in that cesspool of human degradation, God spoke through the chaos. I don't know anything about Abraham. I don't know if he knew God. I don't know if he served God. I don't know if way back in the back of his fuzzy mind or memory he had any concept of God. But in the middle of dark, sinful humanity with everything going on, God speaks loud enough for Abraham to hear, Abraham, come out. I don't want you in the same place you've been. Come out from among them and be ye separate. Come into a land I'll show you. Hebrews 11.8 says Abraham went to a land he didn't even know. He, he, he was blindly following God. He said wherever you lead I'll go. He doesn't even know where he's going. And Lot joins with Uncle Abraham. Lot, Lot joins hands with him and, and they go and, and it looks good. Abraham is following God. He's the father of the faithful. He's part of that, 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 that hero's hall of faith that we talk about. And Abraham with just a voice of God, with just a promise of God, he follows Jehovah. And Lot comes with him. But see, I'm, I'm, I'm pulling all of this because we're going to, take this a while and I'm going to share not tonight but I'm going to share history and story after story to lead it up to where we are today and we're going to stop tonight with Lot I've still got a little bit more to say but we're going to stop tonight with Lot but the fact goes back to, to what I said at the beginning is that Satan's greatest asset right now is compromise so Lot follows Abraham Abraham you know, is walk into a country. You know, every every footstep you get, you 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 you're there. Uh, uh, you, you know, every every step you take, that that's your your land, Abraham. And they go. Genesis chapter thirteen opens up. They they went to Egypt for a while. And now they're coming back. They're going to the Negev. Abraham's rich. He's got livestock galore. He's got silver and gold, and and he's going. And Lot's there, and Lot has been blessed. 
Most likely, Lot's blessed because he's walking with a righteous man. Lot's blessed, and, and, and they, they gather together. And there comes a time where they, the, they start to kind of fight. You know, Abraham goes to water his massive herd, and Lot's animals have already tromped through the spring, and the herdsmen start fighting. And so Abraham says, Lot, let's do this. Let's just split. We're getting a little too big. Let's just split. You choose... I'll go the other way. Lot Lot missed a vital opportunity. At this point, Lot should have echoed the words of Ruth. Where when, when, when Naomi says to Ruth and Orpah, go back home. Just, just go home. And, and Orpah's like, sure thing. Let me, let me go home. See you later. I'll kiss you a couple times and I'll go. Instead, the Bible says Ruth clings to Naomi and says, please don't make me go. I may not understand everything about your God, but I know that when I'm with you, good things happen. And and, and where you go, I'll go. And your God, teach me. Let it be my God. Lot should have done that. But instead, they they stood on a precipice and they looked out and Lot saw the well-watered plains of Sodom. And Lot said, that looks like a good place. What I find very interesting is that the Bible is quick to say in that moment that, uh, you know, it, it talks about, yes, it was a, uh, the Jordan Valley. It's well watered. I mean, it looks like the Garden of Eden. It looks like the land of Egypt. Uh, yes, it's before God, you know, uh, destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot chose the Jordan Valley. Lot journeyed east. Lot separated from Abram. In verse 13 it says, And the men of Sodom were wicked, exceedingly wicked. Lot would have known that. But Lot had a little bit too much of the spirit of Babylon in him. He liked the city, and I'm not against city or rural. That's not what I'm talking about. But Lot had been raised in that. And when he looked out, what caught his eye was the world. And he said, you know what? Maybe I can wrap my God and make him fit my world. Whereas God said to Abraham, I can't fit in your world. You're going to have to come out of the world. So Lot sees it. I'll fit my God around my love of the world. And Lot places his tent with his doors swinging wide open every moment he woke up. If he was like Brandon, he'd get up and he'd make a cup of coffee. He'd swing open the doors and look out on the sun. And there would be Sodom. Kings got to fighting. I think there were five kings. They got to fighting. And uh, somehow through all the warring, they kidnap or take captive Lot and his family. Lot's now kidnapped by the kings. And Abraham intercedes. And Abraham gets his fighting men. And Abraham leaves where he's been and goes and rescues Lot. And it should have been the second wake-up call for Lot. The first would have been, I need to go wherever Abraham's going because God speaks to Abraham. But the second was, Abraham just saved you because... There's something about that, that closeness to the world. There's just always danger involved. 
that closeness to the world. You may not be 100% in the world, but the closer you get to the world, the more those dangerous moments seem to happen. Abraham gets him and, and uh, pulls him out. and it, it doesn't wake up Abraham at all. I mean, it doesn't wake up Lot at all. And then you find that after he's been kidnapped, after he's been there, now he's, he's in the city. The next time you see Lot in his story, he's not on the well-watered plains. He's living in the city. Later on, you find that Lot's in the gates of the city, which means Lot's on the city council now. Lot's one of the elders of the city. If you need to ask a, a, a question, you go to Lot. Lot has assimilated himself into that wicked city. And so God speaks to Abraham. Because remember, Abraham was called out. Abraham, he, he's listening to the voice of God. He's got his ear. It's sensitive to what God says. And, and it's very, it's, God chooses to tell Abraham his plans. Abraham, I'm going to destroy uh, Sodom. I just wanted you to know that. And Abraham says, well, wait, wait. If there's 50 righteous, would you not destroy it? And God says, Sure. And Abraham steps back and says, well, maybe I shot too high. Hold on a second. What if there's 40? What if there's 30 or whatever the numbers are? Sometimes I get them confused. Until finally it goes down. I, I want to say the last one, and I, I don't have it in front of me, but I, I think, it's, it, I think it's, it's 10. He gets down to 10. And God says, if I can find 10 righteous, I won't, I won't destroy the city. God sends angels in to to see Lot. The angels come in and as he opens the door to greet these men, maybe Lot probably doesn't know they're angels because I don't think Lot was very spiritual at that moment, but as he opens his door, all of the, the vile, disgusting men are rushing saying, give us these men. We want to we know them carnally all night long. Just give us the men. And somewhere in Lot's just deranged mind, he says, I'll throw out my daughters to you just you know, it, it would look bad on me if you hurt my guests. Those angels tell Lot, say, Lot, you've got to leave right now. You've got to leave now. And Lot hesitates because the city felt comfortable. The world felt comfortable. And if you want to know how in the world a trumpet could sound one day and people wouldn't be ready, I would remind you of what Jesus said. It's one of the few times that he said a person's name and says, remember, he says, remember Lot's wife. Hesitates. I don't know. I, I, I'm too old. I, I can't flee to the mountains. I, I don't think I can do that. I, the Bible says he hesitates, or, or the English standard says he lingers in that worldly place and says I can't go to the mountains he says you know would you would you just just there's a little city over here it's not as bad as Sodom but it's still the world let me just go right there and God says fine and so they go there as they're walking hellfire and brimstone are falling. I don't know what that looked like. I've got my imagination and in my mind I can just see it and somewhere in the midst of all of that his wife turns a longing eye to the very thing that was going to ultimately destroy them and 
She turns a longing eye and she turns into a pillar of salt. Bible says they go up into the, they don't go to that city. It scared them so bad. They finally go up into the hills. But Jesus says, remember Lot's wife by the gates. There's two things that, that I see happening. And I'm, I'm, I'm closing on this because we're going to continue this. The next time that I preach Wednesday, I'm going I'm to lead you through the next part of of. of Genesis, and we're going we're gonna to get into to Egypt. I want to show you how this spirit of compromise, this spirit of Babylon, tries to weave its way through the children of God. And ultimately, we're going to get to today. How does that spirit of Babylon weave its way into our lives today? But here's what I want you to do with Lot. And I'm going to let Brother Matt, if you want to come and play, so it gives him hope that I'm finishing up. The angel says leave. The angel warns. This is the grace of God. Do you understand that God so loved the world that he's not willing that any should perish? Now, most people stop right there. God's not going to do anything. He don't want us to die. He says that not any should perish, but that all should come. Leave where you are and come. Now, he'll meet you halfway, and his grace is sufficient for thee. I can preach a whole lot about that, but he, he's not going to save you and you stay in the middle of your sin. There's an element of come. But Lot hesitates. He waffles. Because Lot had grown comfortable with the world. Lot had grown comfortable with that that crazy, sinful chaos. I mean, you think our world is bad now? Can you imagine what it would be like if I come and knock on your house and all of your neighbors are trying to rape me? That's what it was like. And Lot still said, well, this kind of feels okay. So the warning to you and I is, we need to be very careful we don't hesitate and waffle in this world when God says, come out from among them and be separate. Lot's wife is leaving because she's being compelled to leave, but she longs for what's back there. She says, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to have to give up a whole lot to get to where God wants me. God says, but no, it's simple. You may give up death for life. But she's looking back at her home. She's looking back at her clothes. She's looking back at her shoes. She's looking back at all the things she had. And so I hear the words again. The love of the world. I believe Satan's greatest asset is this compromise when he asks you this question. How close to the world can I be and still be a child of God? How close can I get to Sodom? Feels good. I like it. There's some cool things there. 
Uh, not everything in Sodom is bad. I mean, the food's good. But how close can I get? The problem is sin never satisfies. And it's real hard to keep your distance when you start the relationship with your eyes on the world. Because have you ever noticed, those of you that drive, have you ever noticed your car typically goes where your eyes go? Anybody ever hit the rumble strip because you saw something really cool on the side of the road? Rush Shrift, you ever seen a buck in a thing? Because where our eyes go tends to follow. Do this in the safety where you've got, but, but you can do something. You can, some of you probably have worse balance than others, but if, you'll, if, if you will stand still and close your eyes, and, and in, in behind your eyelids, if you'll raise your eyes up or raise your eyes down, you'll notice that you will lean whichever direction you're going. Because where your eyes are fixated, you follow. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so it is that I'm preaching today this spirit of Babylon. I told you where it came from, where it started. I've given you one example today in the story of Lot. And we're going to continue this on the next little bit where that spirit of Babylon keeps going. Because ultimately, if you read in, in the book of Revelation, I believe it's Revelation 17, maybe, maybe Revelation 17, 9, it talks about the, the spirit of Babylon at the end of the time. Babylon's mentioned. The great whore of Babylon is mentioned. And I know that there's a lot that can talk about, well, that's, that's a certain country or that's Rome or that's this. And, and maybe it is, but it's the spirit that started in Genesis. And it's a lot of day. Would you stand with me for just a moment?